nearly, nearly the ground I would love for it to cover, but uh, God knows. Um, but Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 35. We started, I believe, in Matthew 24. Now we're ending with Matthew 24. And uh, so, again, we're touching on the spirit of prophecy. The best is yet to come. We understand that. Uh, we understand that everything is moving toward the end goal of Jesus Christ coming and reigning upon His throne when He comes physically, visibly, literally, however else did you can say it. Um, but He's coming to physically rule and reign upon the face of this earth. He will sit upon the throne of David, and He will usher in uh, the, the greatest kingdom that's ever been. And uh, the Jews will come into their full possession, promised to Abraham, and it will be a time of peace. We understand again. He's called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And that's what is coming. And so praise the Lord for that. Matthew 24. All right. Verse 29, the Bible says, Immediately after that tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the heaven to the other. I'm going to stop there. I, I have planned to do more. I was going to do the, the, the parable of the fig tree as well. But I'm just going to stop there. I think that's probably all we're going to have time for for this morning. So uh, we'll pray and we'll get into the lesson. Dear Lord, we pray uh, that you'll meet with us here this morning. I pray for all those who have just been touched with uh, infirmity, with sickness. I pray you would just, just heal them, raise them up. I pray you strengthen them. Lord, fill me before you with your Holy Spirit. I pray you prepare us uh, for today. Speak to our hearts and lives and pray you encourage us, knowing that everything is moving toward this one end goal. Lord, as I mentioned already, that you want to come back to this earth. That's, that's going to be glory. Lord, I'm looking forward to that time. And I just pray you help me to preach for this morning, teach your, your wonderful word, this uh, prophecy, Lord, that we all should get acquainted with. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sometimes you, you think, why should I study prophecy? All you have to do is read through that first chapter of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, it says you, you'll be blessed if you read those words, you believe them and you receive them. And uh, everybody who reads through those prophecy courses uh, one day, maybe I'll go through the book of Revelation. Hope so. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but, you know, I want to just, again, I want to just touch on this for tonight, uh, today. And then later on, I'll, I'll get back into it at another date. But uh, I want to concentrate on soul winning right after this. And so I believe we need to be soul winners, and we ought to be soul winners. And what more to get us ready to soul win than to understand where everything is leading. And we know that. The Lord is going to come back at any time. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be next year. Uh, plenty of people try to set dates, and the Bible tells us that no man knows the day or the hour. It's useless to set the dates. But we know that the Lord is coming back again. We ought to be ready. Also, we ought to be understanding that our lives are in God's hands. We don't know if we're going to be alive tomorrow. And so we ought to be preparing. We ought to know today, if, if we were to die today, where we would be whether it's going to be in heaven or hell. And so we need to be preparing for that great day where we're going to meet our, our, our Lord, our Savior, if you've been saved by the grace of God. And if not, you'll be like the rich man who lifted up his eyes and in hell being in torment. 
They cried out for mercy, but it was too late. I want to start out with this illustration in Warren Wearsby, his book. I like Warren Wearsby. Uh, he has some good things to say once in a while. He says, meet yourself in the, in the Psalms. That's the book. Meet yourself in the Psalms. He tells about a frontier town where a horse bolted and ran away. Uh, of course, in the olden days, he used to have a horse and carriage. This, this horse, he got carried away, and the boy was on there, and he, he was just, his life was in danger. And there was this young man, he came, and he risked his life to go save that young man. And uh, he saved him, and then after the course of time, that young child that was saved, he ended up being lawless. He ended up getting carried away, living the lifestyle of the world, and uh, he got himself in trouble and uh, committed a horrible crime, and he had to stand before the judge. And the boy recognized that, that man, he understood that that was the guy that saved him years ago when he was just a little child. And he thought, well, if he saved me back then, I'm just going to plead for mercy. So he cried out for the judge. He says, you know, I'm, the, I'm that young boy that you saved, and uh, will you just please have mercy upon me? And the judge just hung his head and down low, and he said this. He says, young man, then I was your savior, but today I'm your judge. I'm afraid that I want to send you to be hanged. And one day, you know, I, I thank God that we're living in a day of grace. I thank God that we're living in a time where uh, we're not living during the Great Tribulation period. I'm glad that we're saved from the wrath to come, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. I'm glad of all that. I'm glad that anybody, the Lord is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. One day, if we, we, we continue to harden our hearts, uh, he'll, he'll no longer be the Savior, but He'll be the judge if we refuse to receive Him. And uh, that would not be a good thing. Folks, again, right now, we're, we're in this day of judgment, but there is coming a day for the unbelievers called the Judgment Day, and they will face it, the great white throne judgment. The closer we get to uh, the more people are being turned away from the faith, it's, it's unbelievable. And it breaks our hearts to understand that this is what is happening. When we see more and more people, they're, they're turned away, they're deconstructing from the faith. Those who are saying that they are, uh, you know, like, for instance, Eminem. And some of these, I would like to believe, I would like to believe that they truly did receive Christ as Savior, but I don't see any fruit of that. I don't see any turning. I don't see any changing. I don't believe that they are saved. But I believe that they are deceiving many and turning them away from the faith, and they are helping it. But that's what Paul said in the book of 1 Timothy. He said that in the latter days, many will depart from the faith, and some will profess um, themselves uh, uh, of some form of, they'll have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. That's the way that our time, that's the day that we're living. This is the way it is. The Bible says that this is the way it was going to be. But now, now that we see everything moving toward this end and we recognize that the Lord can come any moment, I do believe in the rapture. And I'm looking forward to that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and the, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Every Christian that's alive today, we got to be ready for liftoff. I'm looking forward to the upper taker, not the undertaker. We understand that that can take place, right? And uh, I can die without the Lord coming, but He will. Even if I am dead and I'm put into the ground, the, the Lord promises that I'm going to be resurrected. And I'm still going to, if I go down and I'm under the ground, under the earth, and dirt poured upon me, guess what? I'll be the first one. I'll beat you there, all right? So that'll still be glory. 
but I thank God that uh, also when the church is raptured up out of here, the Bible says that the, during that period of time where we're up there and we're in the glories and we're going to face the judgment seat of Christ and at the end of that, we're going to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And all those sins and all those troubles, all, those, all, all that is gone, all right? We're going to be preparing for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat it there, and you know, we're going to prepare for the, uh, to drink that cup. The Lord Jesus told His disciples before He departed up out of here, I'm looking forward to drinking it anew with you in the kingdom which means that he was preparing for his disciples, and he told them, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. He promised them the kingdom, all right? And it's going to be glory. The world would be having a heyday for a small period of time, and no more Christians to tell them that they're wrong, no more Christians to tell the world that they're sinners because we're out of here, they're no longer confronted with their sins, they'll, they'll turn to, I, I read it in uh, psychology today, probably not a good thing to read, but I, I like to see what the world is saying once in a while. And they're talking about how the, how the world is turning away from religion and they're turning to spirituality, you know. They're saying you don't need a community of the church, you can just form your own little communities and you can read books like Harry Potter and it's almost like a spirituality and uh, you can content yourself with that, but guess what, that's not going to save you. That's not going to help you. That's not going to change you. That's not going to make your life better. It's going to make you worse. You've seen people turn to things like uh, World, of War, World of Warcraft, something like that. I knew a man who was <clears throat> saved. He was living for the Lord. He got caught up in that game, and he's completely turned away from the faith now. Things like that is going on all around us. And they ought not to turn us away. The Jewish people will find a Messiah figure. They've been looking for for all along. Remember when Jesus came that the Jews didn't want to receive their Messiah because it's not what they expected. And they wanted this political figure to come in riding on this great white horse and sit upon the throne and rule and reign and put down all the kingdoms. They were looking forward to the millennial kingdom promised to the uh, to Abraham, and this is what they were looking forward to, but that's not what they got. And Jesus, instead, they got a suffering Savior. That's not what they wanted. When Antichrist comes, I'm afraid that uh, all the hopes and dreams of the Jewish people that they were looking forward into a, a Messiah. Thank God that some of them are saved today. We're praying that many more will be turned to the faith instead of away from the faith, but can I tell you this? They're going to find everything that they were looking for in the Messiah, in the Antichrist. And that ought to trouble us. Because Antichrist is going to come riding on that white horse. He's going to come and he's going to make war. He's going to make peace with Israel. They're going to build their, their temple. It's going to be great and it's going to be wonderful for a period of time. They'll have their sacrifices and then halfway through that tribulation period, he's going to... Uh, Desecrate that temple. The, you know, it's an abomination of desolations as spoken by Daniel the prophet. And then all, can I say it this way, all hell is going to let loose. The Bible tells us over in Psalm 2, Be wise now, therefore, ye, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye kings of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. 
Blessed are they that put their trust in him. Christ is going to come. He's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. He's going to defeat all those kingdoms that are rising up against him. Antichrist will be the head of it all. And Christ is going to come and destroy them with the spirit of his mouth and put down all unrighteousness. Find that in Revelation 19 and 20. is coming at the end of the tribulation. It's often called the glorious appearing. Once that's done, it'll be ushering in this golden era of peace. Christ's kingdom. What a time. That's going to be the best is yet to come. The most significant event in Bible prophecy, again, is the second coming of Christ. It's amazing how many scriptures testify to the second coming of Christ, not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. It's been estimated that there's over 300 references to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that like for every one prophecy concerning his first coming, there's, I think it's about, Three, I think it's about three more that testifies of the second coming. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's right. Which tells us that this is the most important thing. Though the first coming was very important, the second coming is just as as important, if not more important. Again, I told you, if the Lord doesn't come, there's no hope of the resurrection. But I know he's coming again. And they proved it by his own resurrection. His return will bring the final stage of our redemption, the culmination of all that God promised to those who love his son. When Christ ascended into heavens after his resurrection, the angels told the disciples, the same Jesus which is taken up from you into the heavens will come in like manner as you've seen him go. It's going to come down to the same place. It's going to come from the heavens down to the earth and touch down. He's going to return as Again, one of the fundamental truths of our faith. Think about the book of Zechariah. It's called a minor prophet. It had 14 chapters. It's one of the most amazing books in the Old Testament, if you uh, ask me. It has so many prophecies concerning the Messiah who's going to come and talks about his first coming and, and all the predictions concerning his first coming, but also in the second coming, you break it down. Uh, you look at the book of Zechariah in the first six chapters, I believe it has like six different visions. And after that, he has uh, uh, four, four messages in chapters 7 through 8, and then two salvation oracles, the first dealing with the first coming, the second dealing with the second coming. And you find those in chapters uh, 9 through 14. 9 through 11 deals with the first coming. 12 through 14 deals with the second coming. And some of them, some of them sometimes it, the second coming is even pictured before that, but mostly 12 through 14 is the second coming. You look at what Zechariah wrote, <clears throat> the predictions that he made concerning the Messiah. For instance, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, he's going to come riding in Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that happened. That was in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says he's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Of course, we understand what Judas did. He sold the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He went and threw it back in the priest at the feet of the feet of the priest and told him he says I've, I've betrayed innocent blood and he said what is that to us and he was buried in the potter's field all according to the prophecy but this 30 pieces of silver was prophesied about by Zechariah at his death he'll be pierced in Zechariah chapter 12 verses 7 and chapter chapter 12 verse 10 
fulfilled at Jesus' crucifixion. By the way, it's an amazing thing because uh, crucifixion wasn't even a thing back in the time of Zechariah. It was still yet to come. Now, of course, we understand the Persians, they had their own form of persecution, you know, being impaled on the stake and things like that. That was horrible. But this form of crucifixion was not even a thing. But yet this is what Zechariah prophesied would come. He would be nailed to a cross. Of course, even before that, in the book of Deuteronomy, also spoke about that. So we see that even these three things we're talking about the first coming, they were fulfilled in just stunning accuracy. But in the second coming, he tells us, he says, uh, they shall see the wounds from his hands at the cross of Calvary. In other words, there's going to be no doubt that the one who uh, descends from the heavens down to the earth, that he will be the, the Lord of glory. He will be the one whom they would recognize. This is the one that they've talked about in the Bible that we've doubted all along. This is the one who gave his life on Calvary. This is the one who died for me. We've seen his hands. Guess what Jesus told Doubting Thomas? Blessed are those who, 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 who have not seen and still believe. But they'll be like Doubting Thomas and they'll see those nail print hands and if they want to touch their fingers and those hands, they'll be able to touch. And they'll be able to see. Chapter 13, verse 6. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6. The people would be strengthened and regathered, chapter 10, verses 6 through 12. Talk about the regathering of Israel, and we recognized in 1948, they were recognized as a state, a nation of Israel. But this regathering, even mentioned back in Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38, I believe it is. There's going to be this huge regathering back into their land, and we foretold there in Zechariah chapter 10, verses 6 through 12. Christ will return to the earth on the Mount of Olives, chapter 14, verses 4 through 5. And again, just in stunning accuracy, in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have any doubt to th have concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. He will come. He will fulfill it even more so than, than the world would ever expect. Guess what? The whole world, just as I mentioned in Psalm 2, the whole, all the kings... All the nations of the earth, they're going to rise up and oppose Christ. And it'll be the biggest mistake that they've ever made. Kiss the sun lest he be angry. Can I just say the fulfillment of those ought to give us hope and confidence that Christ is coming again. We read Zechariah sometime and if you'll read through it in your own spare time, it'll be a huge blessing to you because over and over again we find several things that are pictured about Christ. Uh, we see his character, his work. He's pictured as a servant who will do God's will. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8. Mark, you know, the, the gospel of Mark, they call that the servant uh, gospel. Every one of them, they have their own. For Matthew, he's the king. For Mark, he's a servant. For Luke, he's the son of man. For uh, John, he's the son of God. But it's here in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8, that he'll be the servant. He's the branch in Zechariah 6, 12, who restored the Davidic line. Remember, it's talked about in Isaiah. He, he will come forth, he'll be, um, what does it say? 
It's Isaiah 53, verse 1. I won't go there for sake of time, but you, you'll come root out of dry ground. That's the one I'm trying to look for. But he'll be the branch. He'll restore the Davidic line. He's the stone who will crush the Gentile nations in chapter 3, verse 9. He's a shepherd who will be smitten for the flock. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, this day is going to be fulfilled where they're going to smite the, the, the shepherd and all the sheep will be scattered from me. And even Peter is like, no, 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 Lord, I want to stand for you. Lord, I, I'll, I'll never deny you. No, you, you don't understand. <laughs> the Bible says this is going to happen. More and more people all who do not get this into their mind, they do the very same thing as Peter. They speak without recognizing what the Bible has to say. He'll be king over all the earth. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, whose power is unchallengeable. But uh, let's get back to the text for just a moment. Again, he's going to come physically, literally, visibly. He's going to come suddenly, bodily. He's going to come in every way as pictured here in the Bible. The same Jesus who was born in Bethlehem that we talk about on Christmas Day. He's coming again. The same Jesus who grew up in Nazareth. I, I like the Bible names around here. He's coming back again. The one who opened up blinded eyes, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, the one who gave his uh, back to the spiders, the one who allowed his beard to be plucked off, the one who was mocked, the one who went to the cross at Calvary for us, the one who gave his life on Calvary, shed his blood, he went to the grave and three days later rose again. Resurrection Sunday's right around the corner. That's the same Jesus that's going to come again. He's not going to come in humility the way he came the first time. He's going to come back in glory and thank God for that. He's going to come in power. He's going to turn this world upside down as he conquers this world. He's going to conquer the man of sin at Armageddon as well. We notice in verses 29 through 31 with this uh, second coming of Christ. And again, this is probably all I'm going to have time for. But uh, in these few verses, we see the second coming described. They describe his coming at the end of the tribulation period. And we can get uh, into all the points leading up to that point. We see the seven seals in the book of Revelation. I'm not talking about the one where, you know, it was in the, in the upper room, in the, in the throne room of God, where they say, who is worthy? He opened up the book and the, the Lamb of God that taken away the sin of the world. He was the only one found worthy, and everybody's praising him. And all of a sudden, he takes that book, and he begins to open the seals, which is the, the, the title deed of this earth, and he begins to open them up. And after every single one of the seals are open, judgment begins to happen on the face of this earth, and he's causing the world to wake up. Turn to the Savior, turn to the Lord. The seven seals, the seven trumpet judgments, and the seven vials, or the seven bowl judgments. We get down to the end of that. We recognize there toward the end it begins to escalate. Babylon to be fallen. Of course, Babylon has to be built again first, right? Babylon to be utterly destroyed and wiped out. And it's going to be a significant event in history. Verse 29 is looking, uh, it tells us that we need to be looking toward the end. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of the heaven shall be shaken. 
And it's amazing how he describes this. Notice the time of his coming. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Again, the, the abomination of desolation is mentioned in verse 15 in particular. Uh, you say, well, there's a lot of verses in between, Pastor. I understand that, but he's, he, he's getting us in, in the, into the understanding of the fact that this is what he's talking about. In the midst of the tribulation period, he says, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, who readeth, let him understand, and then let them which shall be in the Judea flee into the mountains. Of course, Israel is going to be on the run. Antichrist is going to be pursuing them. Anti-Semitism would be on the rise. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be a time of great trouble on the face of this earth. The prediction, though prefigured by the Roman conquest of J Jerusalem in A.D. 70, had never been literally fulfilled. A lot of people, you talk to Calvinists, you know, that's what they want to point to. Yeah, wasn't there a time in 70 A.D. when they destroyed, I mean, when the temple was defiled and destroyed? No, that was just in part. I mean, we could talk about Antioch Epiphanes. We could talk about, I think it was, uh, uh, was it Titus or Nero? One of them, I can't remember which one it is. But the one in 70 A.D. who, who did those things, and those are only, that's, that's a small fraction of what it's going to be like. Because the Bible tells us that the time of the tribulation period is going to be such as a time never seen on the face of this earth. No, not since there was a nation. We, we understand that there, we have the, the tables of nations, right? You know, there's a, we, we have physical archaeological evidence of this, tables of nations. Even before that time. Antichrist will rise to power and various judgments of revelation are poured out on this earth and when those days have come to their appointed and fearful climax then Jesus will return to this earth. Notice the signs of his coming. I find this interesting. Again, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give her light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Reminds me over in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, the Bible says this, says, but ye are coming to Mount Sinai. He's talking to the Hebrew believers. He says, you're not coming to, that, uh, <clears throat> to, to the tribulation period. But you're coming unto Mount Sinai, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God of the judge of all the earth, to the spirits of just men made perfect. He's trying to encourage them. This is, that's why I give you the encouraging part first, okay? And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling, and speaketh better things than that of Abel. See then that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they <clears throat> escape not who refused him who spake on the earth, much more shall not we escape. If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, now he that promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heavens that speaketh about our time. Also the heavens. And this word, yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken as the things that are made, those things which cannot be shaken may remain, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve the Lord acceptably. <clears throat> Back in our text here, Jesus mentions these three signs. Again, the sun will be darkened. Be like a solar eclipse, but not. We're not told the reason why the sun's not going to give its light, but 
The moon's not going to give its light. Why? Because the moon reflects the sun's light. Stars will fall from the sky and heavenly bodies will be shaken. By the way, all this is spoken by another prophet. You might know who he is? Joel. Joel. Prophecy of Joel. He says this in Joel chapter 2, verse 10. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and moon shall be dark. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. Jesus is just confirming exactly what Joel prophesied years earlier. Right after Joel mentions in verse 11 of the same text, he says, And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. Again, after all those things, immediately, after that, we see the Lord coming on the sea. The Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. He is strong that executed this word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? And the answer is no one. The Lord's deliverance is then prophesied in verses 18 through 32. The most important point is that these events will literally take place in the future. There's no need to read about them. As, you know, sometimes people like to put all these symbolisms. Well, this actually means that. This is actually an allegory. You know, like when Jesus says, I'm the door. It's kind of like that. No, the sun would literally be darkened. And the moon would literally be darkened. And I don't think it's any mistake because you know, I know growing up, I've heard many different times where you'll see these people come on the television and say, well, there's a meteor that's going to fall, it's going to come close to this earth, and it's going to destroy us all. Well, what do you think? I'm just saying that the, the, God's already prepared the world for this event to take place. It's going to be the most amazing event in history. And three words that are describing this moment, I would say it is, it's terrible. It's horrifying. It's going to be worldwide. It's going to be unmistakable. No one's going to miss what's happening at that period of time. All the world will know about it. This is, speaks of the signs of divine judgment or God's way of waking up a religious world. In other words, saying, you want nothing to do with me? You don't want to receive my grace? You don't care anything for my son? Well, guess what? He's on his way. You followed the Antichrist, and you gave him your allegiance, and looked where it's gotten you. <laughs> Trouble, trials, trauma. I'm here to make all things new. You forgot about me, but the day of judgment has finally come. We notice the reality of his coming in verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The verse describes the literal return of Christ to this earth, touching down on the Mount of Olives, First coming, you know, if you think about the rapture, it comes in the twinkling of an eye, but this is going to be unmistakable. Every eye should see him. They want to mourn this for their only begotten son. It's sort of like when you read about the Exodus, remember that, the Passover? And God says, if you don't put the blood on the door, see, if you have the blood on the doorpost, I'll pass over you. But all those who didn't have the blood on the doorpost, 
it was the judgment of the firstborn, right? And there was a weeping and a wailing because of the death of the firstborn. It's going to be this kind of uh, a weeping and a wailing, but not for judgment because of like, would that happen? Because we understand that all of Israel would be saved, but it would be a different kind of weeping. Makes his way to the earth, surrounded by the saints and the angels and the clouds of glory, the phrase of all the tribes of the earth is a reference to the tribes of Israel, first and foremost, but extends to the nations as well. They're going to know he's coming in judgment, and they will realize that they're not ready for his coming. Guess what? Many are not ready for his coming today. There's so many that are not prepared, even Christians. You know, even though they're saved by the grace of God, they're not ready for his coming either. That's a shameful thing. John says, if you were ready for his coming, you'd be purifying yourself, you'd be busy. The Lord Jesus says, occupy till I come. You would be busy, you would be active, you'd be serving, you'd be soul winning, you'd be doing all these things. But here's the sign. Behold, he cometh in the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall will because of him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Second coming of Christ will be with power and great glory. The first time Jesus came with an unnoticed into this world, nobody came to see him but the shepherds. But the second coming, every eye should see him. In this first coming, Jesus humbled himself, being born in a stable. When he returns, he's going to come back, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When he returns, he, <clears throat> when the first coming, he endured the mockery of men who despised him. When it comes again, all mockery will cease. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. He will come the first time as a lamb of God. He will come the second time as a lion of the tribe of Judah. 2,000 years ago, the religious leaders shouted, He saved himself, others he cannot save. But now the whole world is going to be ushered into the second coming. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, the first time was in humility. The second time is in glory. The results of his coming, verse 31. He shall send his angels with great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of the heavens to the other. Once Christ returns to this earth, he's going to send his angels to gather the, the elect, those who have been born again, those who have been saved by the grace of God, those who have received him, they'll be gathered about here. They're true believers in Jesus Christ. Many will be in hiding to try to escape persecution. The Lord knows his own. <clears throat> I like that passage, I think it's the second Timothy. Having this seal, that the Lord knows them that are his. And that everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He knows who they are. He knows where they are. He knows all about them. And the angels know where to find them. And this could be the same moment where the Old Testament saints are raised from the dead. I think about Daniel chapter 12. Sometimes you think, well, why aren't the resurrection saints resurrected? Well, Jesus is coming into rapture for his saints, right? But the Old Testament saints, they still had the hope of the resurrection. Job spoke about it. 
We understand they're going to be resurrected. Daniel talked about it in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So there should be a time of trouble as never since, since there was a nation, even to the same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Everyone shall be found written in the book, Lamb's book of life. <laughs> and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt, that they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Again, Zechariah <clears throat> talks about all these events, how it's going to happen. Zechariah 12, 7. And the Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do magnify themselves against God. Now, understand this. When God ushers in his kingdom, one of the prophecies, there's a, I forget who it is. It might have been Ezekiel. But he tells him, go and take a stick. It's broken to two. It's talking about that Judah and Israel, you know, sometimes referred to as different names throughout the Bible, would be broken in two. And, of course, it was. But it says, put it back together. Because these nations will be bought, both Judah and Jerusalem, all of it, uh, and Israel will be brought back together as one once again. But he says he's going to come back in Judah first. The glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do magnify themselves against Judah. Now, verse 10, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And that day there should be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. It's going to be washing away of all sins. The blindness that happened to Israel is going to be removed. It's going to be something very spectacular. I wish I could read to you Joel chapter 3 verses 16 through 21. You're going to have to do that in your own time. All right, Joel chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. And I want to close with this illustration. G. Morgan Campbell said this, To me, the second coming is the perpetual light on the path which makes the present bearable. I never lay my head on the pillow without thinking that perhaps before the morning breaks, the morning may have dawned. I never begin my work without thinking that perhaps he may interrupt my work and begin his home. This is... His word to all believing souls till I come. We're not looking for death. We're looking for him. I hope that these have been a lesson. I want to go back and revisit prophecy at a different time. But uh, just know uh, next week we're going to be dealing with the matter of soul winning. Because it's an urgent task. And we need to be reaching our loved ones. But let us close with prayer. Brother Denny, would you mind praying, sir? Amen. Amen. I want to go recuperate myself for a minute. <laughs> yes. Cough drops. Yeah. Sure, I'll take one.
Oh, there's the best.